Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. You refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the Force. You believe it's this boy? He can see things before they happen. He can help you. The Force is unusually strong with him. This week, the story is about where the saga begins, a 1999 Star Wars reboot of sorts, uh, hotly anticipated for its endeavor to reveal the origins of perhaps the greatest movie villain of all time. But of course, it was met with a lukewarm response from both critics and fans and went on to gain a, a sort of reputation as the beginning of a low point for the franchise. This was the beginning of Star Wars fans deciding that they know better than George Lucas when it comes to what's best for its narrative. Um, and the criticism has uh, sort of softened in recent years, still thought to be a film of many flaws, and perhaps rightly so. But there's oh so much to celebrate about Star Wars Episode One, which is why our theme this week is top six favorite things about The Phantom Menace. Uh, and this can be interpreted in whatever way uh, you like. Oh, we didn't really chat about any rules or guidelines for this theme, Ross. Uh, you could be as there's a lot to like. Yeah, I, there, of course there is. But I think like you can be as broad or as specific as you want. And and it's very yeah. likely some of our our selections will have some overlap because of how we differently interpreted the assignment. Uh, and and that's okay. That's totally okay. At the end of the day, we both love this movie, and so we'll have lots to discuss. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's uh, a kind of a lot of fun little details as to, I guess, kind of how granular each of us get on certain things. There's certain things that are clear highlights um, where maybe there's something that's an aspect within it or um, something as an entirety that we can get into a little bit more detail on. But I mean, a lot of people have this movie near the near the bottom of their, uh, their list of Star Wars movies, and, and rightfully so. I probably do as well. Um, but it uh, doesn't take away from the fact that it's not still an insane amount of fun yeah. um, and it absolutely achieves so many um, Star Wars standards in the long run. And like you said, yeah, it's got some flaws, but it doesn't take away from what's great in it. And that's what's something that rings true throughout all of Star Wars, fortunately. Well, it was the first uh, tectonic shift in Star Wars, of which we've now had many. But like, it's the first time we're absolutely. really changing things up. And so that was going to be a tough pill to swallow no matter what. I bet more so now because people view things with more critical an eye uh, and frankly people have better taste now because Absolutely. because of what the world has to offer pop culturally and entertainment wise the internet the access to, to the ability to access everything that ever existed in terms of entertainment and to litigate as a fan base on like a, unfortunately on a on a like a, a really broad scale and it is unfortunate because probably like niche internet star wars chat forums existed in 1999, but they would have been pretty niche and they wouldn't have been influential on the culture or the perception of the film overall. Uh, and I, I tend to think, and, and maybe I view it with rose-colored glasses because I was eight or nine years old, I tend to think that we decided after the fact that this movie is so, so bad. Um, well, I would absolutely agree. Uh, you were eight or nine. I was five years old when this movie came out, uh, so I guess you would have been eight. Um, yep. And so it's... It, it, it's there's things in it that you're going to overlook the politics that you don't understand aren't like, I mean, it's going to be a little bit boring for you, but the same way that I wasn't able to read the crawl at that point, it didn't really matter. Um, I had to wait basically the same time, if not, like not much more between the original trilogy and the Phantom Menace. I mean, I probably 
dad probably just queued it up so that we had watched them probably a year before the other ones came out. Right. Uh, a year or two. Um, and so, I mean, from that point, there's you're not going to be that critical. You're going to be like, oh, the Nemoidians are racist. Jar Jar's racist and annoying. Um, and the other things that are just super polished, uh, like some parts of Coruscant just really don't age well. There's the dialogue is pretty rough. Some rough dialogue. Some things with Anakin that, because he was around my age, uh, was far more like relatable than watching it as an adult and this annoying little nine-year-old. Um, but at the same time, it allowed me, it allows me to still appreciate it in a different kind of way because I mean, fuck, I went as Anakin, young Anakin for Halloween because you did. It was, it was as relatable as any character could possibly be in a Star Wars movie uh, for the time period of it. And the I age remember that. You had the backpack. Yep. I had the backpack. I had uh, a little, um, Padres helmet thing, um, the, the goggles. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And so uh, it really worked uh, for my age, I mean, extremely well. So I, I can't really have any complaints there. Um, and then some of the other things, like not realizing that Yoda looks like shit in the original version of The Phantom Menace. I know, eh? I had no uh, idea. The CGI version is immensely, immensely better yeah. than the terrifying uh version of yoda that they decided oh yeah he'll he'll look like a totally different creature 30 years earlier uh, something i noticed in 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 reviewing some highlights from this movie for this episode is how they don't as much as star wars does this now they seem to pivot in the other direction with phantom menace they don't make a make a meal out of anything they don't like it should be really exciting the first time qui-gon calls him obi-wan and you realize, oh, he's Obi-Wan. I mean, I guess you would know going into it that Ewan McGregor, this young kid from Trainspotting, is going to play Obi-Wan Kenobi. But like like that or like showing Yoda for the first time should be exciting. But it's not. He just is sort of in the background in the first Jedi Council scene. And so... And that's good. I don't agree. I think I like a little bit of mustard on a moment. Yes and no. Um and I will say it's good in the sense that it provides a level of the lived-in world to a degree. Uh, and that we're starting at a certain point within the story where things are known and we have to kind of catch up a little bit, which is the way Star Wars originally started out. And so I'm okay with that. Um, but I definitely disagree with a lot of approaches that were taken to uh, the way things were um, revealed to the audience. Sure. I mean, of course, there's going to be reveals within the movie, but... There were some crazy reveals in the prequels prior to the movies with the books, video games coming out before the movies, uh, trailers. Tells, the trailers that spoil everything, soundtracks. Uh, and then let's dive right into that one in particular. Uh, right on the soundtrack, Qui-Gon's Noble End and Qui-Gon's Funeral. Yeah. Great tracks. <laughs> I'm curious to know what happens to Qui-Gon. Hmm, I wonder. Well, I think I told you recently about how I saw in a kid's book, his face was in the clouds. And so that's how yeah. I knew ahead of seeing the movie that Qui-Gon wasn't going to make it. And that's hilarious because he isn't even in the clouds, but that would have made a lot of sense. I'll return to the Jedi uh, as to why you would have connected that being his death point. Yeah, I think that was a coincidence. I think it was more like the way Mufasa's in the clouds after the Lion yeah. King. <laughs> I don't think it but, was. But I mean, it would, it's of course where you like brought it to because Star Wars has shown that you go up in the clouds and you die in that way. Right, and Force uh, Ghost. Yeah. As I was getting to, uh, my number six uh, moment from The Phantom Menace would be Qui-Gon's funeral. Something you like. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's extremely well done. Uh, this is the end of the first chapter. Uh, at this specific point, George Lucas was probably thinking he was going to have his six. Uh, and this is the start of Anakin's journey. And the end of Anakin's journey is a funeral that is very similar, but very different. Uh, and Qui-Gon is there with his Padawans, his colleagues, tons of people around him in a ceremonial uh, burial as he was defeated as a respected samurai and he is being burned very similar to the way Vader is burned in his funeral. Mm. But when Vader's burned, Vader is alone. Vader is in armor. You can't even see that it is Anakin Skywalker. Uh, it's just this part machine, part corpse that's burning. It's Luke, and it's Luke alone off to the side on Endor with no one there with him. It shows the true tragic fall of Anakin, Duel of the Fates, there's the fate, there's Qui-Gon, there's, there's Anakin, there's your noble end. There's your noble end, Anakin, that you just got kind of stolen from you by the Phantom Menace, Palpatine, who's lurking there in the funeral. And ultimately, the ending that you're going to have is going to be the most dire version of this situation right now. And while this is all going on, Yoda's talking about how we don't understand how dire the situation is right now, and the Sith we don't understand are really stacking the odds against us while Palpatine's also looking there. I think it's just a, it's an ending with so much symbolism. It's sad, but it's also a strong ending and then follows right up with the uh, Augie's uh, something commemorative band or something. What yeah, that's called? right. Something like uh, municipal band. Yeah, municipal band. There you go. And so it's uh, it's a nice big contrast swing at the end too, uh, to give it also a little bit of a positive note. But no, I think it's uh, just a, a fantastic scene because we don't have too many funerals in Star Wars and uh, probably we're not probably we were robbed of getting one uh, with Han Solo to kind of uh, complete that out and yeah. get three of them or maybe with Leia or something to have some more paralleling. But isn't it interesting that the journey of Anakin through the Force is funeral to funeral from Qui-Gon's mm. to his own? And, and of course, before Qui-Gon, you know, he's Force sensitive and, and they can all recognize that. But like day after Qui-Gon's funeral, his training essentially starts and he gets this cute little Jedi haircut. Yeah, um, and this is right when his career is going to be watched with great interest. Right, well, and and uh, exactly. And if we're talking about that scene in general and not just about how it impacts Anakin, we've got that iconic always two they are moment between oh, Mace yeah. and Yoda. And I, I know you feel a little complicated about that line because it, it doesn't really turn out to be that true at all. But it also yes, seems and- to define Star Wars like explicitly. It, it does in a lot of ways. Um, but the always two there are, I think it goes to show that once again, prophecy being misunderstood a little bit and Sidious breaking away from, uh, the rest of the Sith being someone that, I mean, Sidious, he talks a big game, but is a massive hypocrite about the respect he has for the history of the Sith. And it's, he, he, he bastardizes it for his own gain the same way that, a lot of them have in the past, and it's just kind of his own um, augmentation of the kind of Sith disease that he's carrying forward. But in in that kind of way, he abandons parts of the rule of two because it allow because they no longer need to be docile. Right. They're on uh, a different return back. But at the same time, there are things known as Sith assassins, uh, and then there are heirs to the Sith. 
Um, so a, a Darth. Darth would be like a knighting sort of title, but also I forget where I originally saw this and I, it was since we started the podcast, cause I believe I mentioned it on here before as well. Um, but Darth is reserved for those who are Sith Lords. Yeah. Uh, you like, and, and so that is Darth, dark Lord of the Sith, mm. Darth. So you, like, if you are a dark Lord of the Sith, you are almost like you are an ex- succession part of the rule of two. And so there aren't really abandonments of that. That, that does still hold true, um, except for Maul um, and Plagueis and um, Sidious. Uh, but that's also because it was the, the transition of the rule of two, which you can't really count because all of the Sith who killed their master were all planners, so they all had another Sith in waiting as well. So well, the rule of two was always like a, a someone-in-waiting sort of thing. Right, but all of that had to be created to service this line delivered by Yoda, which appears to be so implicitly important about your understanding of the next two movies in mm-hmm. the prequel trilogy, when I really think that George, as he's wont to do, Uh, just wrote a muddy line. He just overwrote the line. So Yoda, in his infinite wisdom, says, always two there are, no more, no less, a master and an apprentice. And you can tighten that down, and it could mean a lot more in the greater metaphor of Star Wars. Oh, yeah. if If we take out some of the words, it doesn't have to mean a master and apprentice. It doesn't have to mean the Sith, but like... People in pairs of two is is really recurring throughout Star Wars. Um, mm. We could the two the could dyad. be the dyad that 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 we ultimately end up with Ray and Ren. The two um, Luke and Leia. saviors of the galaxy are both Anakin and Luke, and then exactly it's kind of harkens back to no, there is another, which refers to Leia. So I there's think the line's the, just a little overwritten. Well, absolutely. And then there's the dark and the light, and that comes back to the prime Jedi, and um, whether it's to the to the history of the original Jedi and Sith, and there's the dark, the light, and then there's it's the yin, the yang, it all, and, and very much it's a it's a balance of two, and then that comes down to other people misinterpreting balance of the Force. Maybe he was and just I talking think- about Yaddle. <laughs> Always well, too. What about Baby Yoda? Baby Yoda was born at this time. Well, you're right. Um, oh, he was born at that time. That's so weird to consider. I know he's the same age as Anakin. Oh, um, that's so confusing. I know, um, but uh, always two there are. Always two, you're right. <laughs> and so there's lots of different ways in which you can do that, and, and so much paralleling in Star Wars that it, that it does work. Uh, but then there's also it goes further into just Yoda um, slowly realizing how much has been misunderstood and how much the Sith are clouding what they're doing. So Yoda is literally saying an absolute. Mm-hmm. And only the Sith steal an absolute. Right. Oh, yeah. And there's lots some, of problems with that. Well, there's lots of problems with that, but it's also, to a degree, Yoda believing it. Yep. So n- no more, no less. The Sith only deal an absolute. No, they don't. The Sith love the gray. Mm-hmm. They dance around in the gray. And that's why people who say, like, gray Jedi, which is the stupidest thing in the world, because it doesn't mean, like, people say, oh, Qui-Gon was a gray Jedi mm-hmm. because he didn't follow the code of the no, council. He for no, he was, he was a Jedi yeah. who was doing his... He was a good Jedi. Yeah. He, he was a Jedi following what he should have been. He was not a dogmatic, um, like, public servant Jedi. Gray Jedi is not a term because if you're dancing around in the gray and serving what you want to do, boom, there's, there's your pathway to the dark side and the Sith. Um, and so by Yoda saying that, it's, just, it's also a wonderful misunderstanding of it as well because Palpatine's over there being like, 
I break all the rules, even my own rules, and I don't really care. Um, and and but you're right; it does set up those next two movies really well. Uh, also, we see a body burn in that sequence, and it's obviously not graphic for us, the viewer, but it is kind of sick that they have to sit around his dissolving body in the flames. That's kind of gross. Yeah, it is gross, but also kind of like a, a one with nature force cycle thing, which always goes nicely with Luke's description in Last Jedi. Well, listen, as long as we're talking about the the journey of Anakin as it begins in that sequence, uh, that kind of relates to my number six as well, which is not a thing that explicitly happens in The Phantom Menace, the movie, but in the promotion for the movie. Uh, my number six is oh, the poster, the famous poster where Anakin walks alone on Tatooine with the shadow of Darth Vader cast alongside him on the rocks. It's really difficult to to put ourselves in the shoes uh, of a Star Wars fan who is like cautiously optimistic about the start of a new Star mm. Wars trilogy. Um, the whole thing is predicated on the fact that there is clearly so much untold story behind those original films and specifically that monstrous Darth Vader. Um, not just what turned him evil, but how he got injured, why he wears that suit, what is the relationship he has to our heroes in his childhood. And as much as I think... Um, Episode one would have been better if he was a teenager. We've talked about that lots of times. You really can't deny the power of the juxtaposition that mm. that is like demonic Vader and cute little boy with a mushroom cut. Uh, and that separation is just so perfectly illustrated. And that the awesome poster is so cool. I think it did. It still does a wonderful job creating intrigue for the beginning of this journey. It, it is a sensational poster. It's one of the best posters of all time, uh, Phantom Menace is a phenomenal title, but it, it is a sensational poster uh, and it represents a lot. Uh, it represents great sequences within the film, especially the specific moment of Anakin leaving Shmi behind um, and the walk towards, I guess, the shadow that is his future of Darth Vader. Um, and the loneliness of it too, how, how isolated he is in his journey, which absolutely. is part of the problem. But it's also, um, I'm, I can... I'll bet money that on that poster it probably said somewhere the saga begins uh, because they use yeah. that everywhere. And that makes sense um, because it's also showing like here's the full journey of this character. But here's the shadow of this original trilogy here. So this is the character that we're going to see grow. But we all know like there's there's going to be no hiding this. We all know who this is. I'll, I'll try and divert your attention elsewhere. But we all know that this is Darth Vader. This yeah. little kid is Darth Vader. And so enjoy watching the specifics of that. And I mean, like, it, it's really interesting the way that, I guess, George Lucas um, chose the marketing around that. Like, I mean, and, and appropriately, but like the marketing is even uh, heavily leaned towards Anakin in that capacity and Darth Vader. Um, and I guess that I mean, makes sense. Um, but it also makes sense as to why so many people were disappointed they didn't get more Vader in the suit in Revenge of the Sith well, because of all of the teasing, I guess. And in general, the whole point of doing this trilogy is the story of Darth Vader. And we didn't quite mm -hmm. get enough. They kind of made time for it in and around all this other story, some of which was, was good and some of it was quite fatty. And that tends to be the biggest criticism people have in Star in the prequels is that there's mm -hmm. all this other stuff we didn't so much care about to begin with. But like the way they shot that poster... Um, the the fact that at the end, after all the credits roll, after The Phantom Menace, you get just like two seconds of Vader breathing. Like they cut this movie going, look, people care about Darth Vader. That's why they're showing mm -hmm. up for more of this. And they did kind of get a little lost after Phantom Menace, but it still mattered yeah. a lot in the making of this movie. Uh, it's, it's interesting. And it, it's weird to think that The Phantom Menace 
takes place a decade removed from Attack of the Clones and 13 years removed from Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Yet they feel like a more connected trilogy than the force awakens and the last Jedi and the rise of Skywalkers take place collectively in like a in weekend one year. Yeah. Um, with the first two taking place in less than a week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's really interesting, uh, because the galaxy does change a lot between the Phantom Menace and attack the clones. But I think George Lucas does a really good job of setting it up in a way in the Phantom Menace that he's bringing us back. Okay. Um, we all know where the slingshot's going to go. I'm going to bring it like I'm going to stretch it all the way back so you guys can see. And then I'll just slowly ease into these next few. And so, but like it kind of works in, in, in a way that's, uh, it, it doesn't provide the same kind of shock to the system. I, I, I guess probably people did um, have find the planets a little different in this movie, but it, the, the Tatooine angle with this poster. Uh, it brings it all back together, and so it, it's good for all generations, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Okay, number five, your fifth favorite thing about The Phantom Menace. Uh, it would be Palpatine's persuasion, particularly of the Queen, uh, Ad, mm. uh, Amidala. Mm. Uh, there's a couple lines that are incredible, and they kind of can, can sum it up, but uh, the Republic is not what it once was. The Senate is full of greedy, squabbling delegates. There is no interest in the common good. I must be frank, Your Majesty. There is little chance the Senate will act on the invasion. And then later whispering into her ear, enter the bureaucrats, the true rulers of the Republic, and on the payroll of the Trade Federation, I might add. This is where Chancellor Valorum's strength will disappear. And then as a result of this, I will not defer. I have come before you to resolve this attack on sovereignty on our people. Now is not elected to watch my people suffer and die. Will you discuss this invasion in a committee? the body is not capable of action, I suggest new leadership is needed. I move for a vote of no confidence in Chancellor Valorum. And so the Phantom Menace begins his first acts on government takeover. Absolutely. I think this is such a great pick. And I mean, for all that's said about politics and Star Wars, and I have some more to say about it coming up, um, not enough credit goes to George for his ability mm. to conceive of and execute very realistic political turmoil. He's writing a political Absolutely. thriller for kids for some reason. Yeah. It's the a dumb idea, is... but like it's he's doing it so well. Like it's as mm -hmm. if he's trying to make like a West Wing episode set in in the Star Wars universe, except it's like not funny for the most part, except for when Jar Jar talks. Yeah, the problem is it's that it's the Trade Federation. Mm. No kid knows what trade is. No. And the Trade Federation is like they're complete morons. It needs to be far more uh, High there stakes. needs to be more just, just yeah, or, or simplistic uh, government bodies as well. But generally, when you're getting that way, it gets to be more clear cut lines of galactic warfare, which is higher stakes, like you just said. Um, but yeah, the, the Trade Federation makes it very confusing. But this little tidbit is just really nice and clean. And also, like you said, it is extremely politically like on the nose. It's yeah. very appropriate and very much the way that politicians act in uh, your HBO political drama that you could have. This is not, or or, or better yet, uh, this is the kind of thing that you could absolutely see being in an episode of The Queen when she's young and some like creepy old guy who's being like, oh, the impressionable young queen can now do my bidding while I uh, try and 
perform some form of government takeover through some other backdoor channels, except in this case, he also is a wizard uh, who's, a, who's, a, who's an evil uh, bastard with unlimited power. Yeah. Uh, but it, it shows the strength of Padme, but also that like, because like, she's constantly foiling his plans in this movie, but when he has to, he can get down in the gritty and be like, okay, fuck it. Uh, I'll, 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 uh, I'll be, I'm a senator now, but maybe I'll be, I can be a chancellor after and it won't be a big surprise. I'll kind of move my way into it a little bit or maybe I'll just be a little bit more of it. I'm just going to whisper in her ear and just tell her what to do because my, my puppet mastery is just not working here. <laughs> if there's another case to be made for why Anakin ought to be older in this, in this, uh, first installment of the trilogy, uh, it's that then Padme can be a little older too. And it is a little mm -hmm. bizarre that she's such a political genius at like yeah. 14 or however old the character is supposed to be. Like she's supposed to be a political prodigy in that she can, in many cases, outsmart Richard Nixon. <laughs> um, and, and mm. she, you know, if like, if Anakin was 16 or 17 in this movie, she could have been like 24 and it would have been a little bit more palatable. Yeah. Or even if she, even if he was 14 and she was 18 yeah. or, and not 18 or 19, um, I mean, it's still a little weird, but not quite as weird. Uh, or even 14, 17, uh, keep things illegal or less <laughs> creepy. <laughs> Nothing um, happens yet. No, I know, thankfully. Um, but there is also, I think, some element of it, the fact that it is also that she is young and that uh, because she's young, she's perceived as naive, but mm. she's young and extremely compassionate. And her compassion is what Palpatine can't expect. He's so cynical He's never expecting her to be so goddamn compassionate at every turn and to be so ballsy for her people. He's just expecting her to. But this is one of those instances where he has to use all of his political savviness to get the job done, literally whispering it in her ear because like trying to pull the puppet strings from a mile just doesn't work with this one. She's too much of a nuisance for him. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's a really good choice. Listen, I, I think you've probably selected much uh, more granular uh, uh, selections for this list. Mine are really broad, and I'll give you an ex um, I'll give you an example. Num number five is the Force. <laughs> that's that's my number for the the depiction of what the Force is and what it can do in the Phantom Menace, as contrasted against what we've seen up to this point, where Star Wars um, interesting kind okay, of cool. just depicted Star Wars or depicted yeah. the force as something largely more theoretical. Obviously we've seen the iconic, um, these aren't the droids you're looking for moments, Vader's ability to, to choke people out without touching them. And Luke retrieving his lightsaber from a snowbank to free himself from a Wampa. Although mm. in that moment, it's like quite a struggle. It's entirely a different thing in the opening of Phantom Menace when right away, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, their, their force maneuvering is so fluid and normalized and right away it establishes, by the way, the force is, doing fine in these yeah. days like it is out in the open um and then of course there's the incorporation of of midi chlorians in this movie obviously one of the most controversial things in the phantom Absolutely. menace for what people say is an erasure of the existing definition of what the force is i don't think it does that i think mm -hmm. i think the two can coexist i think it's an effective way to explain anakin's exceptionalism it, it, to quantify how good he is um, before you show it, uh, the force is just more concrete in our understanding because of mm. this film. Absolutely. And actually just, I'm just going to take a quick deviation, um, because I'm reading the Darth Plagueis book and a, and a nice description they use of midi chlorians, uh, in there it is more around, um, 
the midichlorians gather around individuals who are highly receptive to the force. Yeah. So it's not that you're like born, like Anakin wasn't just born with like type force blood and like it was, and then ultimately has high midichlorian count as a result of it. Right. It's the force recognize like, like the, 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 the body continued to like, I don't know, like you treat like a white blood cell count um, got out of control because he was, he's um, so force sensitive. Uh, and then that's ultimately why the, the number so high in his body when Qui-Gon measures it. Like he himself is a force nexus sort of. Um, really great. Yeah, yeah. That's a great kind of it's way. It's just of like a higher concentration of this thing, which Qui-Gon very clearly says when he defines what midichlorians are, yeah. they, they are in all living things, not just Jedi Knights. Um, literally everything yeah. that's alive, a tree has midichlorians, um, but just nothing more than Anakin. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know what doesn't? Sand. That's no true. midichlorians. No, it's so dead. <laughs> so I don't know if there's Course anything else to say about that, but like just the opening scene where like we just see Obi-Wan put up his hand and a bunch of battle droids go flying. And it's like, it's nothing to it. And the force jumping we see uh, later on, of course, in the the movement of duel of the fates again it could come back later mm. so let's not burn it but like it, the force is just more normalized and and existent here and so, that's exciting yeah it's a it's a really good way of putting it it establishes a new uh, kind of like equilibrium for the force and it's basically like okay uh, what you thought you knew before like the galaxy may be lived in but like the, here's let's let's show you the the culture before the fall uh, and show you how much can truly get lost in a short amount of time uh, if you are not able to pass on what you have learned. Um, but look how much these friggin' people know. Um, and look how much Luke will probably learn to know. And look how Obi-Wan, when he's an old man, and he's peaceful, and he just walks there and dies, is when he's going to be more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Yet in this movie... He's kicking ass like he never like he never did before. That doesn't make any sense. How are these ass kickers not way better than? Oh, wait a minute. The force is about pacifism, not Luke Skywalker not walking out with his laser sword to take on the entire First Order. And it's like a great way to kind of show that that like even Qui Gon later in the movie using his meditation, um, it, it also kind of brings that same level that Obi Wan is so. I love how all of your examples were Obi Wan. Um, yeah. because it goes to show you that Obi-Wan isn't as in tune with the force at this point because he's abusing it a little bit. Sure. He's going like crazy. Uh, he's not fully listening it, listening to it and being able to kind of adapt to his surroundings with it uh, or to be calm with it. Uh, and ultimately when he dies, he becomes one with it. Uh, and so it's, it's really interesting that the, the, uh, Specific examples were of him, um, whereas Qui Gon deals with it in a much more calm manner. Um, but yeah, it's 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 such a cool, uh, explosive, uh, exploratory way of looking at Star Wars when you bring in this new level to the Force. Well, just the fact that like by the time the Force Awakens rolls around, not just uh, one Jedi, Luke Skywalker, is a myth, but like the Jedi in general are a myth. But mm. in the times of the Phantom Menace, not only do like common like people who read newspapers on Coruscant know what Jedi are like um, Watto knows what a Jedi is and Anakin, Anakin Anakin who knows nothing and probably can't read knows what a Jedi is and so mm -hmm. that you're right it just shows a really stark culture shift in how different this world is to the one that you're used to plus it just looks more badass 
Yeah, but then there's also the wonderful element of uh, good old Tatooine bringing us back to, to what we know. Yeah. And that kind of goes to my four, uh, but in a totally new way. Uh, and that would be the Boonta Eve classic. Wow, you did it. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Ben Quadraneros coming down <laughs> to the field. By the way, before you say anything more, it did occur to me in my uh, my researching for this uh, podcast, there are three Bens in Star Wars, and one of them is Ben. Ben Solo, Ben Quadraneros, and Ben Kenobi. Ben Kenobi. <laughs> That's right. Get more ben creative. Ben Quadraneros is the least talked about of the Bens. But he's the only Ben in the prequels. Every, every trilogy has a Ben. <laughs> That's a great trivia question that yeah. people would not like. That would stump the living shit out of people <laughs> until the, and when they got it, they'd be so goddamn mad because everybody know, remembers the name Ben Quadraneros too. Yeah, and he's the one who has a hard time getting going after they give the green light at the pod race. Yes, that's right. Although a lot of them have a have a hard time just in general. Uh, here's a fun little trivia question for it. Who finishes? And I think there's a chance you could get this one, so I want to ask you it. If you can really draw on some like old school. Like we had the video game, so you know you know some of the character names. Yeah. Who actually finishes second in the pod race? I mean, dude, I you might say it, and I might remember, but I remember Sebulba. I remember Ben Quadranero. I I think there's another one on the tip of my tongue, but I don't want to bore the listeners with with mulling it over for a long time. Um, did we have like an action figure or something of this dude? No, but it was Gascano. Gascano. Gascano is who I'm trying to come up with. Yeah. He comes in second. He ends up coming in second because uh, there's only a few of them who finished the race. Well, I was going to say, if you survive at all, you should call it a win. But yeah, well, Sebulba survives even though he loses and he gets like that uh, annoying Wario cry. He's yeah. like, man. <laughs> no, I know. Okay, so tell me what you like about it because I like it oh, too. nine minutes of awesomeness. Uh, it is like Star Wars is about like spaceships and all the fun stuff on the side and that's what like a lot of people love first i personally like i i'm in love with star wars for the, the force side of things some people like there's so many different things that people love about the, the force some people love the ships whatnot but like the pod race is such a new interpretation on star wars totally it's george lucas being like oh i know you guys probably thought that we were gonna get like you were gonna see your x-wings no, you're not going to see your X-Wings. We're going to give you the N1 Naboo gold fighters that are like super smooth and slick. And we're going to give you in Tatooine, that old planet, we're going to give you these junk boxes that are street racers. And Jabba the Hutt, uh, his family there, like they, they run the show on these racetracks. Uh, it's built out, it's based off of the, the Ben Hur chariot race. Uh, it's a nine-year-old kid racing a bunch of aliens because no other human is sane enough to do it. Right. He's a slave. He wins. It's it's just such a cool mo- like Anakin's badass through it. He keeps his head. Um, it's definitely like the best Anakin stuff. Uh, you've got the the stadium. Uh, it built an entire video game around it. The lore that comes from that. Um, and but it's, it's also it's the main part of the. It's the climax of the first act. Well, it is. And it's not just candy because it establishes Anakin as a good pilot and mechanic. Yeah, absolutely. He, and, it, and it shows the fact that he's able to do something that no other human can do. Right. And he's able to do it as a child. And the fact that he's talking smack, but he's also like going above it as well. It's just, it's a great sequence. He starts off, it's not working. Like It's not going to go the way you think it is in this race. I love... Um, 
uh, Foden bead. Uh, that's the the announcer guy, mm-hmm. uh, twin alien head head thing. Yeah, Greg um, Proops and uh, Scott Capurro. Yeah, uh, those are the two guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is hilarious. Um, I think there should be more bits of good comedians in Star Wars yeah, being aliens and, and whatnot. Um, perfect opportunity in Mandalorian, but it's it, it's it's just Star Wars. At its like you thought you knew Star Wars, not here's here's something totally different. Here's drag racing, and it's something that I was so, 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 so over the moon excited and gutted when it was not pod racing in the Last Jedi. When I heard I the Fathiers, and I heard the clear, it was clearly racing. I was. I, I I almost jumped out of my seat and I was like, "Are we gonna see like high class, like yeah, better pod really races. classy pod yeah. racers? Yeah, like this is gonna be so goddamn cool." And guess what? You could have had them like driven by slave jockeys and you yep. get the exact same goddamn point. Yep. But like I like it, it just it got me so excited and so it was a great reminder of like, wow, this is this one amazing thing that. We've never really touched on again, but it's such a massive place in Star Wars, and I, I I love it for it. Well, that and like, what are the chances it only exists on Tatooine? Like Malastare is, is the only other established place, and that Malastare had a monopoly on pod racing, and essentially, if like the the criminal world of Malastare would would take you out if you got, tried to get into the pod racing business. Yeah, um, Qui Gon tells Huts that to Qui Gon tells that to Watto. He says there's pod racing on Malastare. Yeah, but yeah. because the huts are the huts, they decide to get into it. And actually, Darth Plagueis uh, is one of their financial backers to allow them to get into um, the, the kind of the pod racing scene, which ultimately snowballs for them from there. Well, it's a great way to uh, incorporate the huts and 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 just in general the the villainy and the scumminess of Tatooine that we know and love, but in a totally different way. It's not a seedy bar. It's a Absolutely. disgusting casino, like murderous gambling, uh, degenerate. And- and another thing, I absolutely think it's just so ingenious when you look at think of uh, every spaceship in Star Wars that goes up in space, and you think of the jets on the back. Pod racers have these weird beams, yeah, that keep yeah. them at like a certain like like that's just so creative. They're being Who towed. Of that? Well, it is like chariots. They're basically designed like chariots. The big yeah, piston absolutely. engines are the horses, and they're being towed by this energy that's between them. Yeah, but it's like that's just so friggin' cool in the way that it like it's not like they're not able to get off the ground because of it, but yep. it's like it's still working. It's also more than twenty years ago, and honestly, the special effects hold up. It still looks pretty oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yep. the special effects hold up pretty damn well in a lot of parts of the prequels. There's some like blatant bad ones, but that's just how it's gonna like George Lucas. He, he's the he's a wizard for being a reason. My number four uh, kind of piggybacks on what we were just talking about a little bit more. Broad topic, though. Uh, the world building that The Phantom Menace oh, yeah. offered us. Um, like a total unprecedented stroke of genius, maybe never seen anywhere before, to begin the saga in its middle and not at its beginning to allow for like a tighter story to be mm. told at first to be the core of the story and then let universal expansion occur later on in the 90s because in the mid 70s they didn't have the technology or the finances to build budget yeah to to build the galactic vibrance that we see in the phantom menace it just looks so much richer Mm -hmm. obviously everybody knew this movie would start the story of how the dark side consumed 
one guy. I don't think everybody anticipated that it would also depict how the dark side consumed the entire galaxy. And to think that a Ooh, republic, like a republic existed before the empire, mm. like not just before the emperor, but before it was like his evil political dynasty. That's so clever and complex. And uh, it gave us Naboo, it gave us Coruscant, Gungan City, like it or hate it, it's very imaginative. And again, this all new culture to familiar Tatooine. I think that's a huge accomplishment. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a, that's an excellent one. And with Oda Doe, one of the massive achievements of the prequels in general. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just so exciting to see the, the different sprawling worlds. Gungan City is, is a great example. Um, the budgets to go to these kind of these different creative locations. Um, no, in, in general, the, the world building is is fantastic and, and it's it's really disappointing that it kind of took a step back um but i think that's it's one of the big things that's it's a highlight for the yeah for like for the for the entire prequels um and it takes a big step forward here with the phantom menace uh and the fact that it's doing it in such a cleaner manner uh the fact that the galaxy like you said it, it's an entirely different state and you get to see it better in uh revenge of the sith but really exceptionally from each of the films and their progression that not just there was a Republic before the empire, the Republic becomes the empire. Yes, exactly. And like, that's, it's just so cool to see those like s slow transition things, whether it's just from Sheev just getting promotion, 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 or whether it's uh, something a little bit more specific, like, Oh wow. Anakin's ships, they look a little bit, they're slowly looking more and more like a tie fighter even though they're yellow. Interesting. Um, and little things like that. Never it's thought just, about it. Uh, oh, if you next time you watch the opening scene of uh, Revenge of the Sith, you're like, oh, so just really fancy colored early TIE fighters. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, like the, the, the wings are like, like they're, there's like folded in as opposed to being like the flat style. Yep. Um, but like the wind, the front window is identical I and it's such it. a classic TIE fighter look. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Buzz droids. Uh, listen, again, I don't have a whole lot more to say about it because we've already said some of these things and I think we'll talk about them a little bit more. Mm. But like it just it just took this already tight, awesome nugget of of imagination that was Star Wars and just friggin blew it up, just like expanded it all across the ceiling. And you just have to imagine like George Lucas at this point is in, is in his late 50s when he's like properly mm. conceiving of this movie to be actualized, not just like in his weird imagination which I think it always was living in there. But like oh, when yeah. he was actually going to put it on paper, um, this is like, an, like a getting-to-be-older guy who is still got the most vast cinematic imagination maybe ever. And yeah, this, the, he, he did the most building in this movie. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he's laying some major like stones for framework to, to build the remainder of the, the trilogy on with Otodote. I can kind of just go into the next one there because it's a little similar um, in some ways uh, of of technology, um, but force fields uh, is Good an amazing one. one. Good one. Uh, but in particular, uh, there's a there is the moment um, where the 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 droidicas in their force fields the, the, right before they use force speed. They're deflecting bolts, and this is right after Qui-Gon is trying to like melt the door. Yes. It is just a culmination 
of epicness this moment so you have like qui-gon just melting through the door seeing new power of the lightsaber new capabilities there you've got these new cool droids with force fields Mm -hmm. and then we get force speed we get these three amazing new things like like this uh, epicness from qui-gon and then like two massive additions to the star wars culture world video game skill sets um and like it's it's just such a cool moment and uh one of the moments that really when i think back of on the phantom menace uh qui-gon uh staring that door down trying to melt it open uh and droidica's and that and the force be like just it's it's one of the first things that my mind comes to and that entire opening sequence with obi-wan and qui-gon um picking up jar jar like that entire opening sequence of them um meeting up with the the rest of the crew on naboo is incredible but this is the highlight of it the negotiations Uh, were short the negotiations were short and a little funny quip from obi-wan but like it's 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 and you have a tc14 who's looking like 3po Uh, they try and gas the moat and they light the lightsabers up in the midst of the gas Mm. i mean i know i'm listing a lot of moments right here it's okay um but i but in particular, the the melting uh, and the force fields, um, but that opening sequence is pretty damn awesome. I mean, if you're going to highlight force fields, there are other force fields in this movie you have to I know, give some attention an, there's to. There's another better force field moment. Uh, so that's the you reason. Mean, is- you mean Qui-Gon's meditation? Yes. Uh, for sure. That's incredible. That's, that's an impactful, important moment in Star Wars in general. But I'm thinking of another force field moment, which happens in the Gungan Land War when they cast this huge globe of force field over there. And then it's immediately breached by battle droids. They just walk right through it. Mm -mm. That is a cool ass moment, though. I I mean, you think it's going to be really, really exciting. And then it's just Mm. completely compromised. But I guess that's that's to illustrate that they're outgunned, outmanned. Yeah. Yeah. And they remain that way the entire time until they get just turned off. <laughs> it is kind of funny. Like this universe has the technology for lightsabers. Why not harness that power in other kind of defensive operations? Like I'm not saying that these force fields are done with like Colin, ki- kyber technology, that's, but that's the Death Star. <laughs> well, yeah, don't but that's, go down the path I can't follow, Colin. <laughs> but that's not defensive. That's offensive. And, no, and I'm sorry, you're right. And for like a, your your league of robot um, soldiers to just be untouchable because they cast this perimeter of of protection like that's pretty um intimidating and cool the magna guards for general grievous they're the guys uh who um anakin and obi-wan fight at the start of revenge of the sith the ones with the big staffs yeah that like then those kind of electro staffs they're that kind of works in that regard but then again it's a matter of how do you teach a droid um uh, an art form per se and i think that's kind of where it comes in the then, that, then you get general grievous well and then the, there's the fact that you have obi-wan is still able to beat him because right? it's 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 not some but even though he's more, he is still sentient as right, well right a broad topic for me for my number three we've already talked about this at length uh it's the politics uh, like another element of this movie that was and and is quite controversial admittedly the the complexity of these like policies that they're discussing it's pretty high-minded for for what its creator says is a kid's movie it is but if we're telling a story about the rise of authoritarianism it's better not to water it down let's go all in the crawl is i just realized this recently it's 
entirely political. Like it only mm-hmm. briefly mentions two Jedi Knights as like diplomats yeah. and its final words. And that crawl does a lot to establish how a play is already in motion for our would be emperor to install himself. Um, and, and you know, it's not just like the, the galactic policies, the, the politics, the trade, the, the off, like the office of, of the politics in this movie that I think is, is worth celebrating. It's the politicization of the Jedi through the council, which is so smart the lawlessness of Tatooine, which is a different kind of political landscape. It's just such a, a fully realized and rational approach to the way this whole um, uh, forum is governed. Uh, George always takes Star Wars so completely seriously, and that's the only reason it can work. Like any other creator might be like, okay, but it's just a fantasy movie. And to George, it's like, no, 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 this is my epic and it has to make sense. Yeah, that's the thing, and that's the that underlying understanding of no, this like there are more moving pieces than you're than you're thinking about, and in fact, that George is always thinking about that is always so encouraging and so disappointing um, when you see that it's not necessarily always taken with that same respect um, at this current state or previous state. Uh, but no, it, like the the politics are are very very cleverly crafted. Um, and like the, the specific just general approach um, to like, I mean, it starts out like in a new hope with like the Senate being dissolved and right. like basically like politics is gone. The emperor now has all control over everything. And so now he needs to completely reset the clock to where was the first domino? Exactly. And here it was. Yeah. And that's really cool. That's a really cool, very, very difficult impressive thing to pull off you have to create a lot of people for that to be uh yeah an accessible that's a really topic. good point you you're have building to... an entire cabinet that you have to have like in, like okay who's going to be influential here who's going to be like a pushover who, like how can i build the chessboard that i can then ultimately play the most masterful game of chess with and the fact that george luke is able to do that is pretty impressive it is interesting though that they, they only ever decided to create this political role of queen of naboo to to make sense out of the fact that Princess Leia is a princess, even though Princess Leia didn't grow up knowing that her mom was the queen of Naboo. I and know. actually, queen does not mean anything monarchistic at all in this galaxy. And so that's a little confusing. Well, no, it, it, it like monarchy is not always blood based. Oh, okay, but it's not a monarchy. It's a democracy. I mean, like... I, I mean, I guess I, the, I don't. I guess I don't know really the how the specifics of the terminology would work there. Um, I, well, I guess it's not unlike the the world's most famous existing monarchy in that it's kind of just a uh, a customary position. Uh, there is political influence, of course, in being mm. queen of Naboo, um, but in her case, it's not hereditary. In in the case of of you know Queen Elizabeth, obviously it is, uh, and and, and, and there is a Alderaan. prime minister, and an Alderaan. Okay. Alderaan, like, for example, Leia is princess of Alderaan because her mother is queen. But like in the United Kingdom, there is, or in the Commonwealth, there is, like, a more influential head of state. Yes. Yeah, and that's kind of similarly what they've got. They've got their whole political body. And that's, and, and like, that's why you have constantly Amidala with her, like, CO bibbles and her, like, her room of, um, her, of obnoxious political figures who are just annoying um, but constantly providing their opinions and trying to sway her to do one way or the other. What is Bail Organa? He's a he's a senator. Uh, yes. Yeah. 
Senator yeah. Bail Organa. Okay, anything else you want to say about that? It's come up a lot, the politics. I think uh, yeah, politics it's, it's are good. good. Yeah, politics are, are top notch. Yep. Uh, number two for me, uh, this one kind of builds off of my number four, but the, the prior moment to it, uh, and that would be Qui-Gon's bartering with Watto. Oh, I love it. Um, I absolutely love this part of the movie, whether it's the, the, the early stuff is great, um, whether it's like, the credits are no good here. Um, or the, oh, Nubian. <laughs> Do you think you're a Jedi um, waving your hand about like that? <laughs> no, Jedi chicks don't work on me. Um, <laughs> so that part's great, but in particular, the um, the chance cube. Hmm. And blue for the boy, red, his mother. Um, but the fact that it's so clearly a fake die and Qui-Gon is like, oh, my force persuasion won't work on you. But it sure as shit will work on your die. Yep. And so, if you want to try and do that, Watto, remember who you're dealing with. It's genius. And the little sm the smirk of Qui Gon when it happens, and it's basically just like, uh, like there was a really good um, description that John Favreau gave of um, uh, how the Jedi is similar to the samurai in the way of their. They're going to come in, they're going to put their, their sword on the table, and then they're going to say, okay, now let's negotiate. Mm -hmm. uh, similarly to the way that they talk about like aggressive negotiations. and uh, The negotiations were short. Um, <laughs> but in that same capacity, you have Qui-Gon not willing to be a pushover in any means. He is doing what the Force is telling him to do as an agent of the Force, but he doesn't give a shit about your principles. Nope. He didn't give a fuck about that. Nope. He is like he is laying down the law. He is in charge of the situation. Um, and like even when he like catches Jar Jar's tongue, like Qui Gon is just he is a pro. He is your ultimate samurai monk. Uh, later on, like meditating in the middle of of his battle. I mean, and it's 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 great elements of Qui Gon. Um, but don't just... don't sell Watto short. Like I put Watto on my no. list of my favorite characters under ten minutes because like. Me too. He, he doesn't stand on, on stand on his own that well, but like nothing that features Watto isn't a good scene. Absolutely. And the bartering that goes back and forth and the fact that Watto clearly knows how much more he wants Anakin and the fact that if he can get it to be Shmi, okay, well, Anakin's worth more to him or maybe after then he'll be able to pay me a little bit more because he's already got Shmi or something. And so he's like, he's trying to figure out his angle as best as he can. Um, but Qui-Gon still, he's playing the man and the situation. And as much as, as Watto's like doing his best and he's, uh, like the, the epitome of scum and villainy, yeah. just the definition of he's it. sleaziest for sure. You have Qui-Gon who is the exact opposite. He is the knight. He is a Jedi knight and, uh, he, he, he will beat you anyway. Doesn't matter. He doesn't, if, if you won't fall to his, tr his persuasion tricks. He'll beat you another way, but he will beat you. And even if you kill him, like Darth Maul does later on, he will beat you in wonder, the long I wonder, game. I wonder if there's an episode topic where we, we like rank the sleaziest characters in Star Wars, because there's no shortage of them. Number one would have to be Elon Sleaze Bagano. Oh, his name is Sleaze. That's, you know, his name actually wouldn't, he wouldn't be number one. Uh, he, but he is the guy who uh, offers Obi-Wan a death stick. Oh, okay, yeah. You want to buy a death stick? No, you're going to go home and rethink your choices or whatever. I'm going to go home and rethink my life. <laughs> hey, my number two, this is not going to be a very creative pick, but I stand by it. It's a repeat of my number two from last week. It's called Duel of the Fates. Uh, only this time, 
Uh, I'm talking about the entire sequence. Uh, obviously, the music. Entire thing, okay. Well established how we feel about the music. We talked about that ad nauseum. But the reveal of the double-bladed lightsaber is uh, featured here. The disrobing of Darth Maul, uh, the speed, the choreography of the duel itself, the mirroring of the, the monk-like Jedi dying shortly after his meditative breather, which uh, we talked a minute ago about how that really completes the emotional journey of Obi-Wan Kenobi as much as it creates this really evocative, sad moment mm. for, for Qui-Gon fans. Um, oh, there's the really deliciously violent way in which Obi-Wan wins the duel overall. Um, the theme That's my number one. The theme we've discussed uh, a lot lately about how... Um, this like symbol of, of the real duel happening here is for the fate of Anakin. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's the uh, look, all, all roads lead back to the duel of the fates. It's not just a visual masterpiece. It's, it, it's a masterpiece in every way. It starts the thing going. Yeah, no, it, it really is. Um, and even in the phantom edit uh, or the machete cut or whatever, one of them, um, it still starts at the Phantom Men. It still starts at Duel of the Fates. Yeah. Because it, it has such importance no matter how you look at the franchise, if you want to understand. That's that's the Phantom Edit that begins with that battle. Oh, okay. Is that yeah. the one? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it, like, I have it. It's my number one, but I was because I was going more specific, I have the disrobing um, of Darth Maul, the doors opening, the reveal of the double blade of the lightsaber. That is honorable mention. Um, the use of uh, kicking in the fight is also amazing. Totally. But another another honorable mention for me. Um, the number one, my number one on my list, uh, is specifically the end of the fight from uh, Qui-Gon's death, the scream of no, mm-hmm. to Obi-Wan like panting, pumping himself up, with going in there, and with insane speed, cutting Darth Maul's lightsaber in half, going ham sandwich and then Darth Maul pushing him over the edge. Yeah. And then we get ultimate star Wars of something falling of a lightsaber falling down a long shaft, him looking down, you've got Darth Maul's cockiness. And then you have the incredible moment of uh, all of the force just swelling up using the force pull uh, with force pull is my favorite thing in, in, in star Wars. Yeah. It's gotta be. Yeah. Uh, Because the moment in empire, um, the fact that like every day I try to use force pull on something. When Anakin uh, cuts even, that pair, uh, oof, that's man. the best one. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like Obi-Wan pulling that lightsaber and so swiftly flipping over and that setting up a later moment in Revenge of the Sith, uh, it is, it's the best moment in the movie for me. Uh, and it's just so incredible. I really wanted Obi-Wan to... Uh, and I, I 100% thought Obi-Wan was going to be using Qui-Gon's lightsaber in Attack of the Clones. Yeah, uh, it's kind would, of a shame he didn't. It, I, I originally thought that, but then uh, I like the notion that uh, Obi-Wan kept it and that Luke ultimately used uh, Qui-Gon's kyber crystal. In general, uh, I do like that too. In general, green lightsabers are under are underserved in, in the Skywalker yeah. saga. Like you always think, well, maybe it's going to be green this time. And there's still sparingly few green lightsabers in Star Wars. And I love them. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're awesome. I, I love that it was yellow in Rise of Skywalker. Disappointing that we didn't get more of it. Um, but yeah, I lo- I, 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 there's a lot of blue. A lot of blue. Well, hey. Well, and, green's great. And then the way the Duel of the Fates sequence ends is the emotional moment where uh, mm-hmm. Obi-Wan goes over to his master. Over. Qui-Gon says, train the boy. And he says, yes, master. And um, 
It's just beautiful. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great really acting is. from from you and from both guys. And uh, as long as we're talking about those guys, my number one. Look again, not creative. I did the broad strokes for this list. You could have predicted this if you know me at all. Favorite thing about it's this Qui-Gon? movie? It's Qui Gon Jinn. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. He's possibly my first favorite Star Wars character. I could sit here and claim to you that I specifically remember having not seen yeah. The Phantom Menace. And, and I guess I sort of remember having not seen The Phantom Menace, but I don't remember having a, a critical enough mind to make any assessments of my own feelings towards Star Wars in that mindset. I just know I liked everything I saw. Uh, what mm. I do recall is knowing immediately that this guy's grace and wisdom are like exactly what you're supposed to respect most. Like you, the, he is the embodiment of of the perfect hero kind of he's the right jedi he's the right guy in the saga um he, he's just he's he's just everything that's enviable about being a jedi he also though has the autonomy to go his own way which we discussed earlier and to make mm-hmm. his own his own decisions qui-gon's got the unique distinction of being the only one who never doubted anakin like he's the only person who can yeah. say that except maybe his mother um, and part of his purity comes in the fact that he dies young and that's, that's a shame, but we get to kind of put him on a pedestal cause he never really is spoiled for us. Uh, also my guy looks bomb in a poncho and that means a lot. Not enough ponchos in star Wars. No. Um, I love the poncho. Luke rocks a, pon- a good poncho. Totally. Qui-Gon rocks a good poncho. Uh, disappointing lack of ponchos in the sequel trilogy. <laughs> right. There um, should be a Ray poncho. Where's your uh, poncho? Absolutely, Ray would kill, would rock a poncho. <laughs> Leia had the like. Also, they had the ponchos on Endor as well. Yes, great. Yeah. Uh, oh, I guess under that circumstance, I think uh, Billy Lord may have had a poncho. Cool. Something I I I can kind of picture in my mind that she may have worn a poncho in Rise of Skywalker, which would be fitting. So the performance by Liam Neeson, the creation by George Lucas together, they make this really awesome thing called Qui-Gon Jinn. This is an easy number one for me. I didn't have, like, yeah. I, I started here and I worked my way back. Yeah, no, that, that makes totally sense. I mean, we totally uh, did the lists differently. Yep. We could not have uh, approached it differently. And that's great. I think that's a, a, I think that's a perfect way for it to have come across. Um, but had I, if, you, if I had known you were going to go this approach, I easily could have guessed Qui-Gon was going to be your number one. You've always, always loved Qui-Gon. Totally. He's always been, um, from my perspective, um, the character you've noticeably, you've noticeably gravitated the most towards. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, hell yeah, Qui-Gon is incredible. It's uh, just limited. No- it's limited, though, because he's only in one movie that you don't really need to see that often. Well, I mean, I don't know if we want to... Like, We've been talking a lot about Phantom Menace right now. We've mentioned a lot of great Qui-Gon stuff, so I don't know if we maybe don't want to not give it its due, but we can kind of switch into a little bit of news right now um, because I do. I would love to see Qui-Gon in the Obi-Wan show. Yeah. Like, that's where you can continue his story. It's really the only thing left in his story, and, the, and, and his story is over, but the only thing left is, okay, how does he teach Obi-Wan, and how does he reconcile in like the afterlife with Anakin and Obi-Wan and like, how is that kind of uh, like, how is it discussed Anakin's fall? Mm-hmm. Like wh- what is Qui-Gon's interpretation of Anakin's fall? Yeah. That's... I was, I, I, I need some Qui-Gon sitting on a log talking to Obi-Wan. He needs some I wisdom need... about that for sure. That, that is like, that will be so friggin' cool. Mm. And I'm, I'm surprised um, and disappointed I mean, it, it is what it is, but it, like, you think it would have been done in Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith that mm. could have been a little bit more Qui-Gon, 
Qui-Gon is sa- says to Anakin, no, uh, don't, maybe, um, when he's killing the Sand People. Mm-hmm. Oh, but yeah. That's, that's... I, I think that's it. I think those are the only, I think that's the only Qui-Gon that you hear in the background, whereas, like, Obi-Wan, as soon as he dies in the original trilogy, he starts talking. Um, so I think if maybe the, the trilogy were told from a little bit more of an Obi-Wan perspective, then you would have had a little bit more Qui-Gon. But I think you maybe could have given that in some of his solo adventures in Attack of the Clones or during some of his lower moments in Revenge of the Sith where maybe he he hears a little bit of Qui-Gon. Although I do love the wonderful surprise of Yoda saying, I'll teach you how to talk to Qui-Gon. It's great. Um, Is there not some existing canon that he can't actually come to full Force Ghost form? Yes, and... And no, because there's there's legends and there's not there is some canon on it. Yeah, um, we can fix it. We can override it. There is ways to override it. Absolutely. Um, in a Force Nexus, he like for example, uh, he was not able to show himself to Yoda on Dagobah. Right. But it is a Force Nexus of the dark side. True. So it's a Force Nexus. So it was easy for him to show himself to for, to speak to Yoda, but he wasn't able to show himself. He was able to show himself to. Um, obi-wan on mortis and so because mortis is just like the most powerful force nexus in the galaxy that makes a ton of sense right um and so there also could have been some manipulation going on in there as well so there is some precedent for a lot of things but even with now with the rise of the skywalker uh and the voices speaking to ray exical is clearly a nexus and so there's something going on there as well and so there's a lot more that can be done but at the very least um, there's press, There's a ton of precedent for Qui-Gon speaking to Obi-Wan, um, and there's precedent for Obi-Wan seeing him um, under circumstances. You could, there can be ways in which you can absolutely make that work. So that's um, not news. That's just speculative, and it's just kind of wishful thinking. That's just speculative, and I just that I wanted in general to, to kind of transition to Obi-Wan, but that being like if we're talking about Qui-Gon, really that's the only other time. Like th- That's the only... That's your last gonna, chance. I, I, yeah, a young Qui-Gon and Dooku could be super interesting. Yeah. But I mean, you're probably it'll probably only make sense to do that in like a book or something along those lines. Or maybe it'd be, it could be really fucking cool as a cartoon if you want to do something or an animation. Uh, if you want to kind of explore that era. Um, and if you do the High Republic, which is 200 years prior, um, you could do like 15-year-old Qui-Gon, uh, which is 50 years prior to or something prior to the phantom menace so you can make it work i just want to list a, a couple of more uh runners up oh. in, in my list before yes for sure i have some honorable mentions as well i probably shouldn't have just tried to skip it over it's okay um i, I also mentioned the pod race in gungan city which we talked about i want to give a little attention to the uncased c-3po it's it's a shame that he has to be cgi mm-hmm. here and it is not good that anakin made him that's forced fan service but yeah. just the look of him is cool. Like discovering him cool. for the first time is kind of a neat thing. And he looks, I mean, it, again, the design is very beautiful. Another, he discovers that he's naked. Right, yeah. A couple other great designs. Um, the Nubian starship. Uh, absolutely. Gorgeous. So goddamn cool. So cool. Uh, Naboo in general. Just yeah. like so detailed and beautiful. The Aqua Breathers. Yes. Oh, yeah. Aqua Breathers. Good one. Awesome. Um, also those little, um, like stand up bikes, speeder bikes that the battle droids use. Sure. Yeah. Those are really cool. Segways um, basically. Yeah. The moment of I am queen Amidala is great. It is pretty good. Yeah. This is my decoy. Now, like they're like 
some of the lines after aren't great, but it's great. Like, get out of my way. I am Queen Amidala. This is my decoy. Well, that and like everyone else's eyebrows kind of go up like, huh. Yeah. <laughs> like they oh, didn't know gr- either. It's a really great reaction from Qui-Gon. Yes, it is. Yeah. And even um, Anakin kind of like curls up his his lip. He's like. He's really oh, confused. Really? He doesn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a crush on her. She's the queen. <laughs> no, that's not going to work out for me. I'm a slave. Oh, and here's an indirect uh, honorable mention. Weird Al Yankovic's The Saga Begins. Oh, yes. What a great song. Yeah. That does a and lot the, for your fanhood of this movie when you're a kid. Yeah, and the only way to remember the ages of Anakin and Padme. That's right. Yeah, she's the, he's the, he's nine and she's 13? 14. 14, okay. Probably going to marry her someday. Right. Good song. Uh, uh, and uh, the only other thing I have down here in my honorable mentions uh, that wasn't already talked about today was Anakin's quiz. A cup. Oh, I forgot it's about Anakin's ship. quiz. <laughs> A speeder. Yeah. <laughs> a man, a woman, a camera, a TV. <laughs> I forgot about Anakin's quiz. Okay, what's going on in the news? Well, first I should say, if you want to list your top six favorite things about Star Wars The Phantom Menace, we'd love to hear them. Interpret that however you like. You can tweet us at Recorder66 or email Recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we haven't had a podcast in a couple of weeks, so what's been going on in the world of Star Wars? Not much, but the Obi-Wan news is that it's going to start filming soon, actually. Cool. They, it looks like they've kind of changed and that they're no longer going to start filming uh, in March, but potentially September. Uh, they may have been able to move it up six months uh, or at least starting certain things in pre-production. And so that's really encouraging. Uh, further rumors or information point to it probably being four episodes. Uh, but Kathleen wow. Kennedy is very, very pleased with Deborah Chow and is very excited to be working with her. I hope those are meaty episodes. I don't want to complain. Do less, less can be more. But four is tight. Yeah, six was the long rumor. And then it was heard that it was rewritten into four. But then it was also heard that the scripts were being heavily retooled. And so I imagine it was still going to stay as four. But I was hoping it was going to be maybe put back to six. Yeah. Uh, but it looks like four is still likely. I'm hoping, like you said, though, that they're at least... At, like at least 45 minute episodes i would really hope that they would be like closer to an hour maybe yeah, yeah. Uh, i'll be i'll be disappointed if they're mandalorian length i'll be very disappointed that is that is a bit of a that's a that's a that isn't that is a tease kind if they do of. 32 minute episodes and then make it four because then there is zero excuse for it not to be a goddamn movie well and that's and this is assuming i prefer tv but then it's just a matter of Stop chopping up this reasonable length movie. Yeah, it could have been a three-hour movie. This no, is assu- this- if it's thirty minutes, then it would only be a two-hour two hour movie. This is all assuming that they're not going to do a second season, which is a fair assumption, but it's not confirmed. No, but no, that's that's like the heavy. That's even more assumed than anything yep. is that it's one season. Yep, and that's I mean, fine. Yeah, and so it's it's very very much believed since the very beginning that it was only going to be one season. Yeah, and so. Um, different show with not one season would be Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like they're also probably going to be on track for what their intended plans were for season three as well. I think they really worked out a system for how to quarantine everybody together and test everybody every day and be really careful. A lot of, a lot of productions have resumed, which is yeah. nice. Well, I mean, their timing was impeccable in the way that production ended and the like way post-production could be done for when they wanted to release it in October. So that worked well for them. Um, so I think restrictions will subside to the position where they're able to do season three filming um, with probably fewer restrictions, like you're mentioning, and obviously with a better understanding of kind of how to play in that in the new sandbox of the world. They have been renewed for season three for sure. 
Yeah. 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 I think so. Okay. Maybe it's not confirmed, but I mean, I mean it, it seems like uh, speaking of Mandalorian, um, it was the guest on uh, Mark Maron's podcast today. So I learned firsthand that his name is in fact pronounced Giancarlo, not Giancarlo, Esposito. 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 And he's very particular about the pronunciation. Oh, okay. But everybody says it wrong. Giancarlo makes sense. Giancarlo, it's three syllables instead of four. And it's just the inflection is different in the last name. Giancarlo Esposito. Okay. Good so that's, that's going to take some relearning on our part. Similar to like Hassan Minhaj. Exactly. Anyway, very cool guy. Uh, a good listen. Oh my God. Yeah. Just across the board. Uh, he makes me, he makes me disappointed in other actors. Oh, wow. <laughs> what a great it, statement. He, he, he just, he shows the way a person should be. He's excited about the work that he does. He's excited about the people that he works with. He gets people excited about it. Um, and also, I mean, has he ever not delivered an, a sensational performance? No. And also, he always plays a psycho, an absolute psycho, horrible human. A few times. And yet he might, he, he seems so deeply wonderful. Yeah. So he, he's just one of those just great seeming people and thrilled that he's in the Star Wars world, um, partly because he seems to be thrilled as well. Yeah, that's the first one. Um, yeah, uh, not a ton to say, uh, but there is going to be a new holiday special. Yeah. So that is going to be Lego. It'll be uh, on Life Day again, November 17th. This is a great idea. Um, this is a great way to use the Lego Star Wars entertainment absolutely. milieu. Yeah. And also to be able to make it something that is non-canon, but fun, but also like a good little story. So Ray and uh, Droid Pal BB-8 head off on a quest to gain a deeper knowledge of the Force, but their visit to a mysterious Jedi temple sends them caneering through time and space. Ray interacts with Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Yoda, uh, and other characters from the franchise's most beloved moments as they return to Life Day for a feast with their friends in Chewbacca's home, and Chew on Chewbacca's home, Wookiee home world of Kashyyyk. Ooh, <laughs> at the end. Um, Sounds fun. So yes, it's going to be on Kashyyyk, which is awesome. Uh, so you've got to have the Wookiees involved with Life Day always. Right. Um, but it's going to be really cool because it's going to be like they'll use world of the worlds kind of which is something developed in star wars the ability to travel through time and space likely established that they'll use for this story of ray going back and like meeting it and like she'll probably meet anakin skywalker as a kid and then go meet darth vader and then probably have a confusing sort of silly moment so i think this is is wonderful uh no one's going to take it seriously no uh it is the perfect way to not make anybody to take it seriously, but allow everybody to enjoy it in kind of a in, in a fun way, um, and because it'll be able to take, they'll be able to poke a ton of fun at themselves with this. Uh, and Star Wars effing needs that because people who love Star Wars need the ability to poke fun at it with it. Like we're making fun of it because we love it, sort of thing. Whereas like people are too cranky about Star Wars a lot of the time. Now. It's entirely true. Yeah, I think this is lots of fun. I can't wait. Yeah, I think it's really great. Uh, a little bit more information came about about the canceled uh, Star Wars video game that they had planned on doing. Uh, it was going to be similar to like Uncharted style, uh, but uh, just that the game's developers uh, apparently thought they had a potential game of the year contender on their hands before oh. they were completely uh, had the rug pulled out from them by EA, uh, specifically for the sole reason of no one play like quote unquote no one plays single player games anymore. That's a quote from EA. 
uh, that was they've, they've gotten in trouble for that quote in the past. That makes no like, sense. Well, it's it's purely because like when you look at their numbers, like they make more like the microtransaction numbers from like Madden. Not, like, yeah. Well, it, FIFA, my, the FIFA microtransaction yeah. numbers, I think, outsell any game on earth. Like the, just the money they make from microtransactions on FIFA is the number one selling game of the year, like every year. So okay. something bonkers. So they had this approach of like, no, we're just going to like, because Fortnite and all these things and all the, everybody's doing the multiplayer, all efforts are going to battlefront. And so they just, everything was pulled off that project years ago. Uh, and I mean, now they're moving into like uh, Jedi fallen order. And so that was a huge success, but this was from um, years back and uh, there's, the people who worked on it are still a little bummed that it, uh, it never happened because there was apparently many, many levels that were uh, complete or near complete. I mean, cancel a game if you're going to cancel a game, but don't make up some bullshit excuse that people don't play video games by themselves. That, that just doesn't make any sense. Like Red Dead, Breath of the Wild. like Yeah, well, I, I think I don't think that was like a public statement. No. I, I mean, like I think that was like an internal statement that they've been caught. Had like that got out, and then people were like, Whoa, like back when EA was under their most fire. But I mean, right, EA right. being under fire for being shitty to their fans is nothing new, nothing new, especially in Star Wars. No, um, only other things I have to say would be uh, on the Kathleen Kennedy front. Uh, so a couple things, uh, Nia DaCosta, uh, who has a an indie movie called Little Woods, uh, it was extremely critically claimed. Uh, and she was also handpicked to direct uh, Candyman by Jordan Peele. And mm. so she's apparently considered, uh, uh, she's also doing um, Captain Marvel 2, directing that. Oh, yeah, uh, I heard about her. And so Kathleen Kennedy mentioned that in particular, like, she kind of implied that, like, not in like a, in, like, a negative way, but that she was, like, um, nabbed away from her, basically, that she mm. had intended to hire her for a Star Wars project. Um, and that, ultimately the marvel like that's not an immediate thing right now because uh she took the captain marvel role but clearly somebody that kathleen kennedy is a big fan of and, and would like to have um in in the star wars uh, world working for them right okay sounds good yeah so it just makes me curious to potentially watch that movie if she's in uh if she ends up getting a, a star wars role uh and also just in terms of the overall process Oh, yeah. It's an ever-evolving process. You know, when I personally came to this, George had already been having conversations with his previous actors, Carrie, Harrison, and Mark. Uh, there was a, a stage, there was a saga, and the fans loved, uh, and it was just never finished. Uh, he always talked about doing nine movies and was uh, ready to complete that, and so our focus from the beginning was finishing that saga. And now we're stepping back. Stories that have been told within the universe over the last 40-odd years, and there's now this realization that this mythology actually spans about 25,000 years when you really start to look at all the different stories that have been told, whether it's in the books or the games. We just need to time to step back and really absorb what George has created and start to think about where things might go. Uh, and that's what we've been doing. We've been having a great deal of fun doing it and meeting with lots of different filmmakers and talent, with so many fans out there, with so many filmmakers that have been influenced by Star Wars for so long. It's a fantastic opportunity to get a sense of who wants to be a part of this. So that's what we've been doing. So admitting that, um, in, in different words, but admitting what we all knew was atrocious planning at the start mm -hmm. um, and that because George Lucas was working on this one thing that they decided to only work on that one thing and really not pay attention to anything else. Um, saying that she just realized about all the other mythology and content actually puts kind of, like she had said a while back uh, a statement that discounted all of the other stories. Mm. And I, I leaped, I left to her defense 
because I was like, no, no, no. She's clearly talking about the movies. You guys like about the previous content to draw upon. She's making comparison. Like Game of Thrones was books that were translated, whereas we're not translating. Like there wasn't an, a book episode seven, although there was a, a Thrawn trilogy that was kind of, but point being is she didn't have, there wasn't direct source material. Whereas this statement is basically confirming what all the trolls were kind of saying that it was like, oh, she basically just discounted and said that they never even paid attention to the other Star Wars stuff, which is kind of what she is saying now. And so that's a little disappointing to see, but it is good to see that that is indeed what they've gotten their shit together to do Mm. and that they're working on that uh, and that they're having a lot of fun doing that. And so that's really good to see uh, that they are like looking at the pieces from many thousand years and making sure that, okay, we're not going to focus on the time period here and then screw ourselves later on because we weren't looking at the big picture. Right. Let's, let's, let's take a look at the big picture and see of all the people we can get involved that we're having the right voices in so that we're not later going back and being like, Oh, this person is such a good idea, but we already kind of screwed ourselves. So I take a lot of positives away from this. Uh, I, I see a lot of confirmation of a lot of assumed negatives, uh, or, kind of negatives that I like to give the benefit of the doubt on, but it does show that it is going in, in, in the right direction uh, and that the recent news and that making sure like them bringing on people like Taika Waititi and the selection of the recent hires has been very, very careful. And that's really exciting too. Right. Well said. Yeah. That's really, that's all that's in the news there. Any birthdays? Okay. Yeah, I'm actually sure some exciting ones. Well, in fact, some, some Phantom Menace themed ones, which is a nice coincidence. Excellent. Uh, happy birthday on Tuesday, August 19th uh, to Ahmed Best. Happy birthday, awesome. sir. We didn't really talk about Jar Jar at the all. The sabered hand. The sabered hand? Yes. I think that's what its nickname is. Anyway, that is Ahmed Best's new focal Star Wars character. Right, the game show host. He can be very proud about uh, the host of the Jedi Temple Challenge uh, something, I don't remember what his name is. But anyway, he's a Jedi Master now. He's no longer Jar Jar. Good, good, good. I'm glad he's feeling happy. Happy birthday on Sunday, August 23rd to Ray Park, another big Phantom Menace heavy hitter. Yes, I'm curious to know how long he'll be with the... um, Nothing really came of anything in the news on that, so maybe it'll all blow over and maybe he'll uh, still be portraying Maul, maybe he won't. TBD. He had like a little indiscretion on his social media, which just kind of got swept under the rug, but we never heard anything more about it. Yeah, so TBD uh, on that one, I guess. And happy birthday on Monday, the 24th, to Kenny Baker. Oh, nice. Right. Okay, so send us your Star sure Wars lists, do. your top six favorite things about uh, The Phantom Menace. You can tweet us or email us. Please, as always, rate and review on your preferred podcast app. Uh, and uh, until we are together again. May the Force be with you. Thank you.